Hello, Apa friends. Welcome to Scattering Angels. It is the 11th day of Dominion, the year 175 of the Badi calendar, February 17th, 2019. I have quite a lot to read to you today. The first is from the Kitabi Akdas by Baha'u'llah. It is uh, paragraph 73. Adorn yourselves with the raiment of goodly deeds. He whose deeds attain unto God's good pleasure is assuredly of the people of Baha, and is remembered before his throne. Assist ye the Lord of all creation with works of righteousness, and also through wisdom and utterance. Thus indeed have ye been commanded in most of the tablets by him who is the all-merciful. He truly is cognizant of what I say. Let none contend with another, and let no soul slay another. This verily is that which has for, was forbidden you in the book that hath lain concealed within the tabernacle of glory. What, would ye kill him whom God hath quickened, whom he hath endowed with spirit through a breath from him? Grievous then would be your trespass before his throne. Fear God, and lift not the hand of injustice and oppression to destroy what he hath himself raised up. Nay, walk ye in the way of God, the true one. No sooner did the hosts of true knowledge appear, bearing the standards of divine utterance, than the tribes of the religions were put to flight, save only those who will to drinks from the stream of everlasting life in a paradise created by the breath of the all-glorious. The next passage I'm going to read is from Some Answered Questions. I'm going to read chapter 77. It's titled, The Right Method of the Treating Criminals. The question was, should a criminal be punished or forgiven and his crime overlooked? The answer, there are two sorts of retru retributory punishment. One is vengeance, the other chastisement. Man has not the right to take vengeance, but the community has the right to punish the criminal. And this punishment is intended to warn and to prevent so that no other person will dare to commit a like crime. This punishment is for the protection of man's rights, but it is not vengeance. Vengeance appeases the anger of the heart by opposing one evil to another. This is not allowable, for man has not the right to take vengeance. But if criminals were entirely forgiven, the order of the world would be upset. So punishment is one of the essential necessities for the safety of communities. But he who is oppressed by a transgressor, by a transgressor has not the right to take vengeance. On the contrary, he should forgive and pardon, for this is worthy of the world of man. The communities must punish the oppressor, the murderer, the malefactor, so as to warn and restrain others from committing like crimes. But the most essential thing is that the people must be educated in such a way that no crimes will be committed, for it is possible to educate the masses so effectively that they will avoid and shrink from perpetrating crimes so that the crime itself will appear to them as the greatest chastisement, the utmost condemnation and torment. 
Therefore, no crimes which require punishment will be committed. We must speak of things that are possible of performance in this world. There are many theories and high ideas on this subject, but they are not practicable. Consequently, we must speak of things that are feasible. For example, if someone oppresses, injures, and wrongs another, the wrong man retaliates. This is vengeance and is censurable. If the son of Amr kills the son of Zaid, Zaid has not the right to kill the son of Amr. If he does so, this is vengeance. If Amr dishonors Zaid, the latter has not the right to dishonor Amr. If he does so, this is vengeance, and it is very reprehensible. No, rather he must return good for evil, and not only forgive, but also, if possible, be of service to his oppressor. This conduct is worthy of man. For what advantage does he gain by vengeance? The two actions are equivalent. If one action is reprehensible, both are reprehensible. The only difference is that one was committed first, the other later. But the community has the right of defense and of self-protection. Moreover, the community has no hatred nor animosity for the murderer. It imprisons or punishes him merely for the protection and security of others. It is not for the purpose of taking vengeance upon the murderer, but for the purpose of inflicting a punishment by which the community will be protected. If the community and the inheritors of the murdered one were to forgive and return good for evil, the cruel would be continually ill-treating others, and assassinations would continually occur. Vicious people like wolves would destroy the sheep of God. The community has no ill-will and rancor in the infliction of punishment, and it does not desire to appease the anger of the heart. Its purpose is by punishment to protect others so that no atrocious actions may be committed. Thus, when Christ said, Whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the left one also, it was for the purpose of teaching men not to take personal revenge. He did not mean that if a wolf should fall upon a flock of sheep and wish to destroy it, the wolf should be encouraged to do so. No, if Christ had known that a wolf had entered the fold and was about to destroy the sheep, most certainly he would have prevented it. As forgiveness is one of the attributes of the merciful one, so also justice is one of the attributes of the Lord. The tent of existence is upheld upon the pillar of justice and not upon forgiveness. The continuance of mankind depends upon justice and not upon forgiveness. So, if at present the law of pardon were practiced in all countries, in a short time the world would be disordered, and the foundations of human life would crumble. For example, if the governments of Europe had not withstood the notorious Attila, he would not have left a single living man. Some people are like bloodthirsty wolves. If they see no punishment forthcoming, they will kill men merely for pleasure and diversion. One of the tyrants of Persia killed his tutor merely for the sake of making merry, for mere fun and sport. The famous Mutavakil, the Abbasid, having summoned his ministers, counselors, and functionaries to his presence, 
let loose a box full of scorpions in the assembly and forbade anyone to move. When the scorpions stung those present, he burst into boisterous laughter. To recapitulate, the constitution of the communities depends upon justice, not upon forgiveness. Then what Christ meant by forgiveness and pardon is not that when nations attack you, burn your homes, plunder your goods, assault your wives, children, and relatives, and violate your honor, you should be submissive in the presence of these tyrannical foes and allow them to perform all their cruelties and oppressions. No, the words of Christ refer to the conduct of two individuals toward each other. If one person assaults another, the injured one should forgive him, but the communities must protect the rights of man. So if someone assaults, injures, oppresses, and wounds me, I will offer no resistance, and I will forgive him. But if a person wishes to assault Siad Manshadi, who was a Baha'i sitting at the table during this discussion, certainly I will prevent him. Although for the malefactor, non-interference is certainly a kindness, it would be an oppression to Manshadi. If at this moment a wild Arab were to enter this place with a drawn sword wishing to assault, wound, and kill you, most assuredly I would prevent him. If I abandon you to the Arab, that would not be justice, but injustice. But if he injure me personally, I would forgive him. One thing remains to be said. It is that the communities are day and night occupied in making penal laws and in preparing and organizing instruments and means of punishment. They build prisons, make chains and fetters, arrange places of exile and banishment, and different kinds of hardships and tortures, and think by these means to discipline criminals, whereas in reality they are causing destruction of morals and perversion of characters. The community, on the contrary, ought day and night to strive and endeavor with the utmost zeal and effort to accomplish the education of men, to cause them day by day to progress and to increase in science and knowledge, to acquire virtues, to gain good morals and to avoid vices, so that crimes may not occur. At the present time, the contrary prevails. The community is always thinking of enforcing the penal laws and of preparing means of punishment, instruments of death and chastisement, places for imprisonment and banishment. They expect crimes to be committed. This has a demoralizing effect. But if the community would endeavor to educate the masses, day by day knowledge and science would increase, the understanding would be broadened, the sensibilities developed, customs would become good and morals normal. In one word, in all these classes of perfections there would be progress and there would be fewer crimes. It has been ascertained that among civilized people, crime is less frequent than among uncivilized. That is to say, among those who have acquired the true civilization, which is divine civilization, the civilization of those who unite all the spiritual and material perfections, as ignorance is the cause of crimes, the more knowledge and science increases, the more crimes will diminish. Consider how often murder occurs among the barbarians of Africa. They even kill one another in order to eat each other's flesh and blood. Why do not such savageries occur in Switzerland? 
The reason is evident. It is because education and virtues prevent them. Therefore, the communities must think of preventing crimes rather than of rigorously punishing them. And my copy of Sam Answered Questions, that chapter occurred on page 268 through 272. But yours might be different. Okay, the next uh, thing I'm going to read is from a letter written on behalf of the Universal House of Justice. It was first written and published um, 5-26-1969. It was to the National Spiritual Assembly of the Baha'is of Canada. Um, but it has some different dates associated with it. But that was the first publishing. It begins. Dear Baha'i friends, we have reviewed your letter of April 11th, asking about the teachings of the faith on self-defense and any guidance on individual conduct in the face of increasing civil disorder in North American cities. From the texts you already have available, it is clear that Baha'u'llah has stated that it is preferable to be killed in the path of God's service than to kill, and that organized religious attack, attack against Baha'is should never turn into any kind of warfare as this is strictly prohibited in our writings. A hitherto untranslated tablet from Aldabaha, however, points out that in the case of attack by robbers and highwaymen, a Baha'i should not surrender himself, but should try as far as circumstances permit to defend himself, and later on lodge a complaint with the government authorities. In a letter written on behalf of the Guardian, he also indicates that in an emergency, when there is no legal force at hand to appeal to, a Baha'i is justified in defending his life. In another letter, the Guardian has further pointed out that the assault of an irresponsible assailant upon a Baha'i should be resisted by the Baha'i, who would be justified under such circumstances in protecting his life. The House of Justice does not wish at the present time to go, go beyond the guidelines given in the above-mentioned statements. The question is basically a matter of conscience, and in each case the Baha'i involved must use his judgment in determining when to stop in self-defense lest his actions deteriorate into retaliation. Of course, the above principles apply also in cases when a Baha'i finds himself involved in situations of civil disorder. We have, however, advised the National Spiritual Assembly of the United States that under the present circumstances in that country, it is preferable that Baha'is do not buy nor own arms for their protection or the protection of their families. With loving Baha'i greetings, the Universal House of Justice. Now I have a couple more passages. The first one is from a letter written on behalf of the Universal House of Justice to an individual believer dated January 24, 1993. Abdu'l-Baha has stated that the world in the past has been ruled by force and man has dominated over woman by reason of his more forceful and aggressive qualities, both of body and mind, and the balance is already shifting. 
force is losing its dominance and mental alertness, intuition, and the spiritual qualities of love and service in which woman is strong are gaining ascendancy. Baha'i men have the opportunity to demonstrate to the world around them a new approach to the relationship between the sexes, where aggression and the use of force are eliminated and replaced by cooperation and consultation. The Universal House of Justice has pointed out in response to questions addressed to it that in a marriage relationship, neither husband nor wife should ever unjustly dominate the other, and that there are times when the husband and the wife should defer to the wishes of the other if agreement cannot be reached through consultation. Each couple should determine exactly under what circumstances such deference is to take place. The next passage is from Unfolding Destiny by Shoghi Effendi. It's on page 427. Shoghi Effendi feels that it should be explained that forbidding self-defense by Baha'u'llah should not be taken too literally. To put it as bluntly as this, he fears that the question might be misunderstood. Baha'u'llah could surely have not meant that a Baha'i should not attempt to defend his life against any irresponsible assailant who might attack him for any purpose whatever, whether religious or not. Every responsible person would feel under such circumstances justified in protecting his life. Shoghi Effendi therefore thinks that if you could modify the statement that Baha'u'llah went further and forbade even self-defense and put it less bluntly than this would be wiser and preferable. And the next one was from a letter, possibly the same letter, which was written on 24 January 1963, written on behalf of the Universal House of Justice. The use of force by the physically strong against the weak as a means of imposing one's will and fulfilling one's desire is a flagrant transgression of the Baha'i teachings. There can be no justification for anyone compelling another through the use of force or through the threat of violence to do that to which the other person is not inclined. Al-Baha has written, O ye lovers of God, in this the cycle of Almighty God Violence and force, constraint and oppression are one and all condemned. And a final passage from Baha'u'llah and the New Era, written by J.E. Esselmont. This is pages 169 through 171. The title is Non-Resistance. As a religious body, Baha'is have, at the express command of Baha'u'llah, entirely abandoned the use of armed force in their own interests, even for strictly defensive purposes. In Persia, many, many thousands of the Babis and Baha'is have suffered cruel deaths because of their faith. In the early days of the cause of the Babis, on various occasions, defended themselves and their families by the sword, with great courage and bravery. Baha'u'llah, however, forbade this. Al-Dabaha writes, When Baha'u'llah appeared, he declared that the promulgation of the truth by such means must on no account be allowed, 
even for the purposes of self-defense. He abrogated the rule of the sword and annulled the ordinance of holy war. If ye be slain, said he, it is better for you than to slay. It is through the firmness and assurance of the faith that the cause of, of the Lord must be diffused, as the faithful, fearless, and undaunted arise with absolute detachment to exalt the word of God, and with eyes averted from the things of this world engage in service for the Lord's sake and by his power, thereby will thy cause the word of truth to triumph. These blessed souls bear witness by their life-blood to the truth of the cause and attest it by the sincerity of their faith, their devotion, and their constancy. The Lord can avail to diffuse his cause and to defeat the froward. We desire no defender but him, and with our lives in our hands, face the foe and welcome martyrdom. Baha'u'llah wrote to one of his persecutors of his cause, Gracious God, this people need no weapons of destruction, inasmuch as they have girded themselves to reconstruct the world. Their hosts are the hosts of goodly deeds, and their arms the arms of upright conduct and their commander the fear of God. Blessed the one that judgeth with fairness. By the righteousness of God, such hath been the patience, the calm, the resignation of contentment of this people, that they have become the exponents of justice, and so great hath been their forbearance, that they have suffered themselves to be killed rather than kill. And this notwithstanding, that these whom the world hath wronged have endured tribulations, the like of which the history of the world had never recorded, nor the eyes of any nations witnessed. What is it that could have induced them to reconcile themselves to these grievous trials, and to refuse to put forth a hand to repel them? What could have caused such resignation and serenity? The true cause is to be found in the band which the pen of glory hath day and night chosen to impose, and in our assumption of the reins of authority through the power and might of him who is the Lord of all mankind. The soundness of Baha'u'llah's non-resistance policy has already been proved by results. For every believer martyred in Persia, the Baha'i faith has received a hundred new believers into its fold and the glad and dauntless ways in which these martyrs cast the crowns of their lives at the feet of their Lord has furnished the world the clearest proof that they had found a new life for which death has no terrors, a life of ineffable fullness and joy, compared with which the pleasures of earth are but as dust in the balance, and the most fiendish physical tortures but trifles light as air. Okay, I am going to continue our reading of the hidden words of Baha'u'llah. We're on the seventh and eighth hidden word from the Persian. O son of love, thou art but one step away from the glorious heights above and from the celestial tree of love. Take thou one pace, and with the next advance into the immortal realm and enter the pavilion of eternity. Give ear, then, to that which had been revealed by the pen of glory. O Son of Glory, 
Be swift in the path of holiness, and enter the heaven of communion with me. Cleanse thy heart with the burnish of the Spirit, and hasten to the court of the Most High. I'd like to close today with a prayer from the Baha'i Prayer Book on page 236 and 237, written by Baha'u'llah. Glory be to thee, O my Lord. My face hath been set towards thy face, and my face is verily thy face, and my call is thy call, and my revelation thy revelation, and myself thyself, and my cause thy cause, and my behest thy behest, and my being thy being, and my sovereignty thy sovereignty, and my glory thy glory, and my power thy power. I implore thee, O thou fashioner of the nations and the king of eternity, to guard thy handmaidens within the tabernacle of thy chastity, and to cancel such of their deeds as are unworthy of thy days. Purge out then from them, O my God, all doubts and idle fancies, and sanctify them from whatsoever becometh not their kinship with thee, O thou who art the Lord of names and the source of utterance. Thou art he in whose grasp are the reins of the entire creation. No God is there but thee, the Almighty, the most exalted, the all-glorious, the self-subsisting. Baha'u'llah. I want to thank you for joining me today at Scattering Angels. Um, and thank you for bearing with me on a sort of trying subject. Uh, there is a lot of material here to digest and to... Um, meditate on. I look forward to having you return and join me again the next time. Thank you again and have a joyous day.